If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to grab them and uh, turn with me once again to the book of Philippians. Just a reminder, I haven't reminded you in quite some time, but if you're a visitor with us, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, or if you simply forgot your Bible, there are some Bibles on the back table on the back cart uh, that you can not only use today, but you can take home and uh, have that be your copy of God's Word. Uh, I encourage you to follow along with me. The, The Scripture will come up on the screen behind me. In just a moment, um, we have been, for those of you who have not been around, those of you visiting, uh, we have been studying this first century correspondence from the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in a city called Philippi. We're now several weeks, I didn't count, but we're several weeks into this letter. It's not a long letter, but we're taking our time uh, mining it for all of its richness And we find ourselves this morning, before we read the passage, we find ourselves in somewhat familiar territory, at least for those of you who have been around, who have been with us. What I mean by that is Paul brings up themes in this passage that he's touched on before, themes like uh, imitation, examples of those who have gone before, themes like uh, how he feels about those who oppose the gospel, those who oppose the church, and this notion of being citizens of heaven. In this passage I'm about to read, Paul brings these three themes that he's already touched on in various ways uh, in this letter. He brings them all together around that last theme of citizenship in heaven. Do you remember when we talked about this? It was back in chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. It was this long sentence in Greek. It was one sentence uh, that began with, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And it has that Greek word polis in it, where we get our word politics. So it has this undercurrent of being citizens or behaving as citizens of heaven. And how do we become citizens of heaven? It's the gospel. It's not anything you do. It's not a checklist that you fulfill. It's not a criteria that you meet. It's by faith in Jesus that you are adopted into the kingdom that is not of this world. One of my favorite verses that the ways that Paul says this is Colossians 1.13. I read it to you weeks ago. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Through the work of Jesus, by the, through the gift of faith, heaven, those of you who know and love the Lord Jesus, heaven is your home. It is your destiny. And so conscious, conscious of that reality, how does that change things Today, does it change things today in the here and now? The fact that we're defined by a city that we've never seen, that we've never been to, but we know the king of that city and we know something about what the king is about. 
So in that passage that we looked at in chapter 1, Paul made some really specific applications, things that the Philippians were struggling with, things that we struggle with as well in the church, disunity within ourselves. Remember he said, heavenly citizenship calls us to fight as one. And then enemies from without, he reminded us, heavenly citizenship gives us courage in opposition. And so today's passage digs a bit deeper into this idea, I told you this was coming, of our citizenship in heaven. That's why I titled today's sermon, A Heavenly Walk. And I'd like us to make three pointed applications for a heavenly walk this morning. But let's first read the passage. If you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, as is our tradition in honor of this Word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through verse 1 of chapter 4. Listen as I read. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and can now tell you even with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things." But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. As I said to you already, this is somewhat of a revisiting of some familiar themes. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time today pressing in to the fact that you are citizens of heaven if you are looking to and trusting in the Lord Jesus. We've already made that point. The gospel has made us citizens of heaven. We've been transferred into the kingdom of light by His grace. So what I want to do this morning is actually apply this as best I can. Hopefully based on the Word of God and where it has led me in my study and in my reflection on God's inspired and holy Word. So three encouragements this morning from God's Word. Three encouragements about a heavenly walk. The first one is this. A heavenly walk finds good mentors. A heavenly walk finds good mentors. I wonder how many of you are familiar with the term an influencer. I mean, I know you know what the word means, but in our culture... Do you know what an influencer is? It's a term that gets thrown around quite a lot. It's a specific term to describe 
social media personalities. Most specifically, I think, I'm kind of an old guy, so I'm not quite sure, but I think the term is used to describe specifically Instagram personalities. Instagram influencers, these people who have literally millions and millions of followers who want to know what they're doing, who want to know what they're wearing, who want to know what they think about whatever. And then, of course, I think you have TikTok influencers. You have YouTube influencers as well. Not all, but many of these influencers are pleasure-seeking, attention-craving self-promoters, right? And so you have big corporations, as you might imagine, lining up for their products to be featured on the pages of these influencers, that that influence might permeate into dollars spent online or at retail stores. For you older folks, and I'm including me in that category, think Oprah, okay? Remember what Oprah did when she would say that I love this book, I'm going to make this part of my book club? Remember what happened to those books? It would shoot up on the New York Times bestseller list. Influencers. Here's the reality that I want us to remember and think through for a few minutes. This isn't rocket science, I recognize. But it's something I think we forget. Not only that we are all influenced by others in various ways, but we are all influencers as well, whether we are consciously thinking about it or not. Right? We learn a lot of things by, by being taught, by someone standing in front of us and imparting knowledge, but we learn maybe even more when things are caught, when we see people living in cert- certain ways, when we walk with them and see how they respond in certain situations. So, in terms of the letter to the Philippians... Paul has recently drawn our attention, right, to the selfless service of Timothy, to the risk-taking gospel, risk-taking Epaphroditus. And even to his own straining and pressing forward towards the goal in Christ Jesus that we looked at just last week. And he reminds us, he reminds the Philippians that, hey, these are the guys I am the guy. I am the guy that you want to be looking to. I'm the guy that you want to be learning from. I'm the guy that you want to be absorbing whatever you can. Think like us. Do as we do. Imitate us, he says. Paul, of course, has said this elsewhere. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And this isn't arrogance. Paul, more than anyone, is not wanting you to look at his past credentials or his resume, or even his present gifting. His singular focus of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants you to look at. His desire to press deeper and deeper into knowing this Jesus. Paul is wanting you to imitate how the life of Jesus manifests itself in Paul's life. 
in selflessly serving, in suffering well, in enduring opposition and hostility, in resisting temptation, in exhibiting in various ways the fruit of God's Spirit. And we could go on and on and on. Paul says, imitate me. But obviously... Here we are in Edmonds, Washington in 2022. Obviously, our looking to Paul, our imitating Paul is limited. It's limited to the Scriptures and to the portrait that the Scriptures paint of this godly man. Nevertheless, it is one of the applications. Look to us, Paul says. And so we read the Scriptures and we we take note of the apostolic witness. We learn And we are encouraged. But there's another application, I think. He goes on to say, keep your eyes on those who walk like us. In other words, find good mentors. Sure, we can gain much from Paul's life. We can gain much from the lives of many who have gone before us little side plug for reading good biographies of godly Christian men and women. Corey Ten Boom. Jim Elliott. But they're all dead. We need mentors who are alive. The Philippians had Paul who was alive. They had Timothy and Epaphroditus who were alive. And this is how the faith flourishes. This is how we mature and in part multiply, attaching ourselves, or at least at the very least, watching closely those who are worthy of emulation. And I'm not talking about Instagram influencers. Even those on that platform who are godly, and I know that there are some, I'm talking about real relationships. Timothy needing Paul. Titus 2, younger women needing older women. Younger men needing older men. Men and women in our midst who who bleed the Bible, who carry the aroma of Christ in their countenance, who order their days with, with discipline and with intentionality, who have walked through suffering with grace. I think God's Word reminds us and calls us to find those folks, to watch them, to walk with them. I can think of a few men and women in particular in this church that I've said to myself and I've said to others, I need to spend more time with them. I just need to learn from them. They have a perspective on life that I that I don't have and that I need. Maybe it's someone outside of this church. Maybe it's someone in this church. Heavenly Walk finds good mentors. And if you're asking, I don't, I don't know, I don't think I need a mentor. I'm pretty good. No, you need a mentor. I need a mentor. We all need mentors. Why? Because we all struggle. We all struggle with weak faith at times. And that's when especially we need one another. I've read this quote to you probably a dozen times in my dozen years. Maybe that's an overstatement. But I love it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, 
from the World War II era in his book Life Together. On the chapter in community, he writes this, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs other Christians who speak God's word to them. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And here's the key phrase, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And so Paul reminds us, he reminded the Philippians, as he said, imitate me, that we need each other. So the question is not, are you being influenced? It's, are you being intentional about who is influencing you? A heavenly walk finds good mentors. That's the first very pointed application. It's only one verse, so we've got a ways to go. But let's switch gears, as Paul does, because he moves to this other group. If we're going to kind of think of this passage as different guides for life, right? He says, imitate me and the example of those who walk like us. That's one guide for life. He says, come on, you need this. And then he goes into this other group in verses 18 and 19. For many, he says, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And here's where I want our hearts to go for just a few minutes with that description. A heavenly walk grieves for those who don't treasure Christ. A heavenly walk grieves for those who don't treasure Christ. Now we've already talked in this letter about Paul's righteous indignation for this group of people called the Judaizers, right? These Jews who were inflicting upon God's people, upon these new Christians, upon Gentiles in particular, extra biblical commands, Jewish traditions, Jewish rituals. What does he call them? Remember some of the names? Dogs, he calls them. Mutilators of the flesh. Evil doers, he calls them. Paul hasn't held back on his frustration of those who pervert the gospel by adding requirements to it. And certainly that's all been appropriate. There is a time and a place for that. But here... Here in Philippians 3, Paul seems to reflect a different posture towards this group that he says are the many, for many, at the beginning of verse 18. He weeps for them, even with tears, verse 18. Now, I don't want to over-index that that particular phrase. But to me, it seems significant. Very rarely, in only a couple other places, do we learn of, of such deep emotion from the Apostle Paul. 
particularly towards those who are not Christ's. Now, here's the thing. We don't know exactly. Commentators are split on who the many are, who exactly he's talking about. Some say that he is talking about the Judaizers, but if that were the case, he sure has changed his posture towards them. Because he was all about righteous indignation. He was all about pinning them to a wall. And now he's weeping through tears. And the way he then describes these people, this many, there seems to be little concern for the law among them. right? And that's what defined the Judaizers. They were all about following the letter of the law. But these people... Whoever they are, they're all about lawless living. At the end of the day, I don't don't think it really matters who the many are that Paul is talking about. All we need to know is that they deny the work of Jesus and they live as if this world is all that they have. Right? Three, Three ways he describes them here in our text. Let's look at it real briefly. Their God is their belly. Right? For this group, bodily, sensual appetites are, are king. Right? It's, it's the epitome of, of self-indulgence. The Greek word that's translated here as belly refers actually not just to the stomach and therefore to vices like gluttony and, and drunkenness, but it actually also has in view the womb, bringing in to view sexuality, and the obsession with sex. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They boast in indecent acts. Things that were once shameful are suddenly normal. Things that should once been hidden in a closet are now proudly pranced around. And then finally, their minds are set on earthly things. All of their pursuits, all of their energy, all of their focus is on the things of this world and what it has to offer. If this is all we have, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and who cares? Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. Does it sound familiar? Of course it does. Of course it does. We, we might think that our age is unique in its debauchery, in its perversion of God's design. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing new under the sun. This describes today. And so as Paul describes these enemies of the cross, those who live and flaunt their lives as if Jesus is irrelevant, doing what they want, headed for destruction. What is his posture? No doubt he wants to guard the church against them. He wants to speak the truth in love to them when appropriate. But what does he say here? Through tears, he describes them. Paul's heart is broken for them. Why? Because these are... Souls made in the image of God who are lost. And you break through the veneer, you break through the shells, you unpack the brokenness of their stories, and they're just needy, hurting people like you and me. They're blind. 
They're groping in the dark. They're looking for love and satisfaction in all the wrong places. The places you and I would be going to if we had not been grabbed and gripped by the grace of God and by the gospel, if we had not been given eyes to see the glory of Christ, if we had not been been born in covenant families with parents who taught us the ways of the Lord and showed us the path of life and not the path of destruction. Only because of the gospel, only because of the cross, only because of the gift of faith are you and I here Don't forget that you weren't so lovable and you still aren't so lovable. And yet God has set His love upon you. Is there a time for righteous anger against sin? Absolutely. Jesus' anger showed showed itself quite a bit, particularly against the religious, right? But what about the prostitute that was dragged before him in John chapter 8? It's one of my favorite pictures of Jesus. These accusing voices with stones in their hands, ready ready to hurl them at this half-naked woman caught in sin. What does Jesus do? He writes on the ground. He gets all of their gaze off of her and onto him and to what he's writing and to what he's doing. It's the tenderness of Jesus for the sinner. He weeps over Jerusalem in Luke 19 before the crowds turn on him. Friends, I confess that I need this kind of compassion. I need those eyes. And I suspect you do too. So my encouragement to you this morning, next time you are absolutely disgusted with someone's sinful behavior, consider praying for the grace to press into them. Pray for tears, genuine tears, the kind that don't merely stand off in judgment, but in grief for their destiny, in pity for their misplaced affections, points them to the only one who can satisfy. That's what a heavenly walk does. It grieves for those who don't treasure Jesus. One more truth briefly before we close. This is a long one. A heavenly walk is transformed by the beauty of the king and his kingdom. A heavenly walk is transformed by the beauty of the king and his kingdom. Remember what the church, what the Lord says to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. He says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. So many of us here in this room Those of us who are married remember the feeling of falling in love with our spouses when their beauty or their personality just filled a room and your thoughts even when they weren't present. And now you take them out for a date and you got to make sure you don't go to a sports bar where there's a TV behind your head because you won't see or hear what she's saying because you're so distracted. 
John says to the church in Ephesus, remember your first love and return there. Paul says to the church in Philippi, keep pressing into Jesus. Never let your attention veer far from Him. You see, the, the, the verb await here suggests being distracted from what's at hand. You've got an eye somewhere else. You're awaiting something else. In this case, you're awaiting the coming of Jesus. i got to confess to our teacher, I... Snuck ahead in Paul Tripp's book, Do You Believe?, which we're studying in Discipleship Bar. I went to the very last chapter and read the chapter on eternity. There's some good stuff coming in that chapter. But one of the things he says in that chapter is he says, keep watching the trailer. It's one of his applications about eternity. Keep watching the trailer. He just refers to this day and age we live where we have all these trailers that that tease what's coming up, right? We not only have trailers, but we have teaser trailers, right? We have teaser trailers which precede the real trailers which precede the movie. And Paul Tripp's encouragement about being heavenly minded, about having eternity in view is keep watching the trailer. There's a couple trailers that I keep watching, like literal trailers that I keep watching. I'm a Top Gun era kid, so I keep watching Top Gun Maverick. My dad was a fighter pilot too, so. In regards to what's coming, this is Paul's encouragement. And I suppose this long statement that I just read to you really sums up the posture and the actions of the first two statements. It comes from a quote by one of my seminary professors, Dr. Dennis Johnson, he says this, having the beauties of heaven and heaven's king permeate and transform our values and relationships in the present on the earth. That's what Paul is after when he reminds God's people of their heavenly citizenship. He calls them back to the future to ask how your future, how the movie that is coming, the reality that is coming, what you know is coming, how that relates to the way that you make decisions now. And this isn't checking out. No, it's quite the opposite. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, I'm going to read this well-worn quote that you've heard before, I bet. He says, if you read history, you'll find that The Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so insignificant in this one. You see, this is is watching the trailer over and over again. This is recognizing and living that our lives... There's so much more than happening. There's so much more happening in our lives than what we see. Right? We live in an enchanted world, and there's so much more coming than we even know. Paul Tripp in that same chapter says eternity, our heavenly citizenship, is a hermeneutic for the way we make sense of the here and now. It's our interpretive grid for how we view everything. So how might the glory of Christ that is coming 
And it's accompanying transformation for us. How might that change us today? The fact that Jesus will make all things new. The fact that he will right all wrongs, that justice will be done. You see, this is real hope that can carry us through the struggles and the challenges of life, whether they be from others, whether they be in the frailty and the brokenness of our own bodies. Our suffering, your suffering, is not meaningless, but has purpose. And healing is coming. Such promises can even rise to the level of statements from the Apostle Paul that are so mind-baffling and otherworldly where he says, death is gain. It doesn't matter. It allows us to enjoy the things of this world without idolizing them because there's no need to hold on to them so tightly. They're just reflections of God's good gifts that will come in fullness. Brothers and sisters, this is the encouragement of the Apostle Paul and of God himself this morning. Let your lives be transformed by the beauty of King Jesus and his kingdom. You and I, we're we're called to be good citizens of earth. Yes, certainly. But the best way that you can do that is by remembering whose we are, where our true home is located, and where our true allegiance lies. A heavenly walk finds good manners, grieves for those who are lost, and keeps an eye out for King Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truths of your word this morning. Father, we confess how easily we get tunnel vision We can hardly think about next week, let alone eternity. Oh, Father, may the promises of Your Word, the certain hope that is to come, the heavenly realities that are ours in Christ Jesus, may those not stand afar, but may they seep, may they permeate into our lives, softening our hearts, making us humble and people who grieve, filling our days, prioritizing the kind of people that that we spend time with, the kind of people that we want influencing us. Oh, Holy Spirit, do Your work. The specific things that Your people need as they gather this morning in Your name, that Your Word would not return to You void, but would accomplish all You intend, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.